Last week I discussed the magnitude of, of the story and how difficult it can be to try to focus our attention for just a short period of time. What, what seems to me like a, an impossible task to discuss the importance of today. So as we begin to focus the attention, I'm going to read a lengthy passage of scripture with you this morning. Um, I'll highlight pieces of that scripture when we get there. But if you want to turn with me your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, the very, the very final words in the, the gospel according to Luke, we'll begin at verse number 13. It's a lengthy reading, like I said, so feel free to stand to your comfort level. If you, if you don't want to stand for the whole time of the reading, I certainly understand. So, but if you would stand in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 24, verse number 13 says this. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the thing which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, These things. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were, in, were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures these things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it. And he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew it. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us on the road, and while we opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that, they had, that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? 
and wind it down to rise in your hearts. Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you, have, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, for Joe joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understandings that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to Scripture knowing that the context of your story is so much vaster. And even in our, our reading of this lengthy passage, we are labored. But Lord, we understand that if we do not see the whole story, then we, we cannot understand you. I pray this morning that we will be challenged by the truth of your resurrection in a way that, that makes us leave this place inspired to reach others, inspired to change our own lives, inspired to be close to you. Lord, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, in a, in a strange moment in my life, I happened to be a spectator on an Easter Sunday morning, which is not common for me. And I, we were visiting a church in our community. There was this, this opportunity for us to go to this, to this place and hear this preacher. He was a phenomenal preacher, by the way. He was absolutely outstanding. And I don't mean to besmirch his character or his ability in any way, shape, or form. But I was very discouraged on Easter Sunday morning when we sat and listened to his sermon. Because he talked about the cross. Now, you'd think that that's a normal topic to talk about on Easter Sunday morning, wouldn't you? But the cross, we talked about that last week, and, and it's, it's too big a topic to talk about just one time. But I was really frustrated because in the course of that message, I thought to myself, you know the thing that we needed to hear this morning was that Jesus has been raised from the dead, not that he has been tortured. There's something that we need to see as a church this morning, and as I highlight a fistful of scriptures from this lengthier reading, I want you to see it with me. And that is that if you are looking at Jesus' death, you are looking at a good thing, a thing that was necessary, a thing that was essential to our lives, but you do not see Jesus clearly. You have to look through the empty tomb in order to see heaven and Jesus more clearly, because he died, but you will die too. He was resurrected. And this is something that is outside of our reach. You see, I believe that when these two travel along the road to Emmaus, that what the, the problem that they're having is they're encountering a piece of scripture that, that we are reading about and seeing them, and they are, they are grappling with their grief. And I would suggest that this is not uncommon in humankind, right? You and I, we sometimes grapple with our own life struggles. I, I would love for you to look at your neighbor this morning and say, I've got struggles. And you might even look at your neighbor at some point in your personal life and you might say something like this in not this setting, but in another, you might say, and I have grief. You see, the two that are on the road to Emmaus, they have grief. 
They are looking at this man that they had put so much trust in and they have grief because he's dead. But if you only look to the cross, you will miss Jesus just like they were missing him. You have to look to the tomb to see Jesus. And you have to realize that he's not there. Amen? Amen. It is an excitement in this passage as you see it. And point number one, if you want to take notes this morning with me, is you cannot clearly see Jesus until you see the empty tomb. We see this in about verse number 16 where he says, But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I suggest to you that this morning that a great many people, they know a lot about Jesus. They know a lot about what the scripture has taught. They, they have seen the History Channel programs, which, you know, I caught a lot of criticism for telling you that I don't really get down with the History Channel version of Jesus because it's not biblical. But I got some, some, some heat over that, okay? You know, if you study the, the real text, when you watch those shows, you'll see that they're messed up. Something else I want you to hear me say this morning. Your friends are a great asset in your life to help you on your faith journey. These two men are on a faith journey and they are dealing with the topic and they're restrained because they're talking to each other and they're discussing the matter. But let me tell you that nothing can replace the presence of Jesus in your life to help you see Jesus. If you think that just your friend's opinion about what the Bible has to say or what people think about Jesus is enough, you are missing time to spend with Jesus in your quiet time, in your Bible study, in your prayer time, at your church time, where you come and you come face to face with your creator. Then you begin to see him more clearly. The opinions of other people are just that. Sometimes they are grossly flawed. But if you will come to Jesus and see him and walk with him and talk with him on a regular basis in your quiet time and in your Bible study, you will see him more clearly. But you will not see the whole Jesus just talking to other people about Jesus. It might be a good lead-in. And we do trust other people that have studied, but there's no replacement for Jesus, is there? But I suggest to you that there are people, even in the midst of us this morning, that think that they have a good relationship with the Almighty because they have the good opinion of their friends and they agree in like-mindedness, but they don't agree with Scripture. And I would suggest to you that that's broken. Don't trust your friend's opinion of what the Bible says. Trust the Bible. Don't trust the world's opinion of Jesus. Trust Jesus. If you want to know more about Jesus, know about what he teaches. Know about what he says. Know about how he interacts. Look with me at how profound it is. He goes on in verse number 17. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk in our sad? You see, we have this problem where we live our lives. And we, we wrestle with the things of the world. And we have conversations and are sad. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? I suggest the church lives in a, prob- a problem. And that problem is, is that we have not looked past the cross to see the empty tomb. And as a result, we are sad. We understand his suffering, but we don't understand his resurrection power. And are sad. There's this beautiful dialogue that happens. And they look at Jesus not knowing who he is, and they're like, don't you understand what's happening? Don't you know what's going on? And, and, and Jesus is like, what? You know, some of the best moments in the classroom, and, and I know there are a great many educators that would tell you this, some of the best moments in education is when you let the student work it out for themselves. You pose the question in front of them, and when they try to get you to answer it for them, rather than dive in and rescue you, you rescue them, you make them work it out, right? 
And Jesus is like, what things? Tell me about these things. And so they did. They told him this beautiful story of Jesus. Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how he was absolutely arrested and tried, however illegally. And that they had hope in him. That he would be the, the ruler that would take over and take charge of the whole matter. That's what their hope was of him. And I think that a lot of people in church have a, a lot of hope for what Jesus would do for their life. The things that they might get from him or gain from him that would serve them instead of the kingdom. And I think that, that we are not isolated in this. And I would suggest that when you look around this room, everybody would come to Jesus with something that they wanted personally for themselves that is completely out of line with what God wants for the world and for, for the church and for his namesake to be glorified. And I think we're not unlike these two in this regard. Then they begin to talk about the tomb and how there's this astonishing peace. Some of the women that we know came back and told us. They just completely blew our minds. And then others went and checked too, and they concurred that the women were, were telling the truth. Verse 25. This has got to be making the sound booth crazy because I put all the verses in there, but I'm jumping, you know, from thing to thing. So bear with them. It goes on in verse 25. It says this. Then they said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them. And all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And Jesus does something that I know sounds radical and sounds amazing. He dialogued with them briefly about the truth that they're dealing with. And then he does something miraculous. What does he do? He opens God's word to them and expounds the scriptures. Jesus is high on this book. He is absolutely 100% pointing us to it all the time because in it contains everything you need to know to see him. And he is pointing it out and he goes back and he says, we're just going to start back with what you know. And he tells them the stories that they had been studying their whole lives. The likeliness of them having their own copy is, is unfathomably insane. You know, it's not until the advent of the printing press that anybody could have imagined having their own copy of the Bible. You are blessed and fortunate in the world you live in because you are able to have not one but numerous books that are that are containing the entire measure of truth of God's word in your house. And most of the time, like Spurgeon said, you could take your finger and you could scrawl across the outside cover of it because there's so much dust on it from having never been opened the word condemnation. And the picture for us is that when we look to this, you know, you have a copy of it in your house and you don't break it open. And the problem is, is that he points at it and he says to us this. This is where we learn. This is where we get the truth. And he points at the scripture. Point number two, if you're taking notes. Jesus always points to the truths of scripture. You see, oftentimes I've been criticized in the course of my, in my preaching and I know that it's interesting and, you know, you have to take the good with the bad, guys. You can't have this many people listen to you or any audience at all and not have somebody have some opinion about what you're doing, right? One of the very first criticisms I received as a young preacher was is that I used too much scripture. 
And I was like, man, I, I just try to see what Jesus is doing and do that. Jesus goes back when, he, when these guys are wrestling with the problem. He says, let's go look at the Bible. Mm. And he goes all the way back to Moses and to the prophets. And he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Numerous, numerous prophecies of Jesus throughout the entire Old Testament. Things that we unwind in the New Testament that are still yet to come. There are pictures of his record being perfect with regard to fulfilling these things. Man, it, it, it unfolds in such a way that the disciples begin to see Jesus. They begin to see him. But only when he sits down with them to break bread. And there's something about it that's reminiscent. And all of a sudden they see it. And then they dialogue with themselves and they're like, man, we got excited when we heard Jesus. And it burned in our hearts. Verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. I love that it says that they rose up that very hour. Remember that they had been pleading with Jesus. It's late. You should stay with us. The day is far spent. But now the urgency is upon them. Now the moment of excitement is with them. Now they have to behave and act in a way that makes sense to them, even though it's late in the day. Now, let me ask you a question this morning, church. Do you believe that Jesus is motivating you ever to act in such a way that you need to do it right now? Because if you don't have that sensation bubbling up inside of you, then I challenge you to look to the scriptures in such a way that you might be compelled and motivated to do something right now. They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered them together. In your note-taking this morning, seeing Jesus inspires us to share with others. You see this picture that they begin to see Jesus. They begin to see the resurrected Jesus. And as they begin to see him, it compels them to gather others together. And this is the story of why we have church. If Jesus had just come and paid a price for you and for me, we would have no reason to gather other than to be sad. However, because Jesus is resurrected, we have every reason to gather and celebrate and sing and praise God and give and live and do according to the scriptures because we have a unifying truth. And that is that there is one who is greater than you. And he loves you and wants you to know that he, he can't be held by the grave. You know, I was listening to the really interesting uh, social media was flooded this week. And I don't know, maybe not on, on, on your social media, but on mine. Or maybe it's just because I'm on, you know, my daughter likes to say that when I'm on social media, it's like dad talk. You know, there's stuff like people mowing lawns and doing plumbing projects and stuff. It's like a dad talk. But all of a sudden this week, it was full of Jesus. And man, Louis Giglio was giving this powerful, powerful talk. And in it, he said something that just rattled me. And he starts to highlight it. And I give him all, you know, wherever he, 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 he came up with this, I just want you to hear that this is not mine. But he said something that shook me. And he talks a little bit about his own failures. He's like, man, we've all got failures. You have failures. I have failures. Look at your neighbor and say, you have failures. Some of you got a little excited when I said that. Now, look at your neighbor and say, and so do I. But part of the problem is, is the same thing with the road to Emmaus and the same thing that happens in church life is, is that when we begin to, to understand the magnitude of Jesus getting the people together, that he wants to show us something. He enters the room and, you know, the miraculous piece of him vanishing and coming back, 
Man, I would love to spend some time unpacking that. I don't feel like this morning is the time to do that. I'm not trying to ignore that it's there. It is there. But he enters back when the 11 are gathered together and he says, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. They are shook. And they are troubled. And Louis talk, and I'm, I'm getting back to that, because of what happens in this next couple of verses, Jesus outlines this beautiful moment. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And he begins to show them his scars. And I told you a minute ago that you have trouble and you have flaws and you have faults and you have problems, right? And some of you have deep, deep hurts. Things that are woven into your life that, that you can't live beyond. That you are struggling so much with. I, I tell you that it happens accordingly in the course of life when I'm dealing with things and, and helping people and kind of walking through stuff. That every once in a while somebody will look back on a historical moment. A moment of grief or a moment of pain in their life and they'll do something and they'll say that this was my motivation for doing this awful or sinful thing. And I will look at them and I'll say, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare look back on that moment and blame it for everything that you've done today. Take some ownership over what's happening in your life right now. And the problem is, is that just like in Louis' talk, he says, we are too busy looking at our own scars. And we can't move forward. And when I challenge you, church, this morning, look at his scars. So that you can move forward. Because he helps you. He's the bridge past all of your grief. And all of your hurts. And all of your problems. He empowers you because you begin to see someone can beat the grave. You can beat the grave. The heaven that is waiting in front of you is, is promised only through him. And we see it. That he is telling you. Look at me. Look at my scars. And the problem is, is that we're struggling. We're struggling to see him. In your notes, the moment of decision is forced by the resurrection. That's number four. The moment of decision is forced by the resurrection. About this point in the story, if you've never studied it before, what will happen is, is that you'll begin to wrestle with, okay, Jesus' teachings were revolutionary and they changed the world. Jesus was miraculous. He did things that no one else can explain. Jesus was, was influential and man, he sure fired up the power and the authority that was present. And he made them all kinds of upset. And, and there's a bunch of people in this room that don't care much for power and authority that rules over things and would love to just mess them up a little bit, right? And when you see the picture here where it's like, man, Jesus kind of does that. And he, he's becoming this really cool role model. And then he dies on the cross and everybody's like, that's tragic. But then what happens is, is that he's resurrected and all of a sudden people are like, wait, I don't know. You lost me at the resurrection. And I'm here to tell you today that if that's the story for you, if you don't believe that Jesus can get up out of that tomb and be raised by God from the dead, then there is no salvation for you. But if you believe that he can be raised from the dead, then there is salvation enough for you and everyone you know. And the problem is, is that people are disconnected and you have to make a decision at this moment. The resurrection forces it. It causes us to look. The excitement is that we can live beyond all of our problems because of Jesus. Verse 40. But when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but they still did not believe. For joy and marvel, he said to them, 
have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. This is oftentimes the moment where people's heads are fractured and broken. They're like, but how can he eat? And then he begins to do something which is very normal for him. He begins to teach. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. You see, even Jesus told them this would happen, and they struggled with it when it happened. Right? Now, how many parents in the room have ever looked at your children and said something to them about what was going to happen next? You know, my wife is pretty good about this. I, I believe she probably learned it from her mom, that she will look at our children and tell them what to expect from the things that have come so that our children will know how to behave. Anybody ever do that in this room? And if you're not using that technique, I just challenge you, it'll help. You're in the car right before you go to that place where you don't want them to touch all the things. Say, hey, we're going to go into this place and you're not going to touch all the things. It might not help, but at least they know what to expect and they'll know why you're mad later. <laughs> Jesus is like, hey, I'm gonna, we're pulling up on this pretty important moment in history and he's got them all back in his minivan. I'm just kidding. Jesus did not have a minivan. But he's like, here's what you're going to need to expect. You're going to expect that I'm going to die. And this temple will be raised again. Three days. They're just out there living their best life, grieving and hurting. And they're like, wait, you meant what you said? Just like you look at your children. like, yes, I meant don't touch the things in the store. Jesus is like, I'm coming back from the dead. And they're like, wait, you were serious about that? Yes, I was serious about that. It's going to rewrite history. It's going to change everything. You realize that the hinge point of all of history, our date is based on his birth, but all of our personal salvation experience in life is wedded to his resurrection, not his death. Your born again date starts with him coming back from the dead. And he just tells them, I must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then he does something revolutionary. Look at it with me. Not once, but twice. He did it with the two, and now he does it with the eleven. And he opened their understandings that they might comprehend the scriptures. Do you have doubts this morning? Read this book. Do you have curiosities about the story? Read it for yourselves and stop watching the History Channel about it. Now feel free to watch the History Channel. I'm going to get in trouble again. But watch it after you read it. Come back to me and tell me what you think about it. Because we might just agree a little bit more than you realize. It made me wonder about what else you're getting wrong, by the way. Just, I know. I'm going to get in trouble for that. I could feel an email being typed on somebody's smartphone right now. It's okay, though. I welcome it. Please. Okay. Jesus goes back to the scriptures. He, he, he goes back to the thing that he has given us. And that because you are the benefactor of living in a time in the world where you can have it here in print. You can have it there on the screen. You can have it on your computer, laptop, desktop, smartphone. You can have it. They are giving it away. Every time you let a group show up, it's called the Gideons. They will just give you copies of it. People are, are throwing them away on college campuses as fast as they can hand them out. 
And Jesus is pointing at him saying, let me teach you something about me. And then he just unfolds this bit of truth. And as we're kind of winding into a moment of decision for you, it says, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins could be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You know, oftentimes, and he's not here to defend himself, he's helping in children's church this morning, but Brandon Fisher and me have been dialoguing a little bit about getting ready for any kind of event. I tell him I want him to make a who, what, when, where, why, you know, sheet on everything that they're going to do. So that whenever, you know, a parent says, what are we doing? I can just look at the sheet and say, this is it, and send it to them, right? Or that they can already have it. Well, we know the who. His name is Jesus. And we know the where. Story tells us. And the when? It's the most documented death of all of history. Even if the History Channel is getting it wrong. The who, what, when, and where. We even know the how. The Romans had it perfectly sorted out. But have you ever stopped once in all of your life to consider the why? Because this is something I'm also working hard on, always trying to work out so that people will understand why. So the, the question oftentimes that people will ask is, is why did Jesus come to die? And we even ask that question when we, we talk to people about coming to faith. But I want to ask you a better question, a superior question than why did he come to die? And that's why did he come to be resurrected? You see, all along he knew he was going to die. That's the language of John. But all along he knew that he was coming back from the dead. I'll tell you why he had to be resurrected. Because we have read the verse. Because God so loved the world. God's love is his chief motivation, his only thing. If you, if you want point number five, if you're following along in your notes, is God's love for us is the why. He tells us that he has to come and suffer. But he doesn't just say to suffer, and I think we stop there too often. And to rise from the dead the third day. And as a result, it should cause these things in us. Repentance and remission of sins. They should be proclaimed and we should embrace and do this. And it should start right here. That's what he said in Jerusalem at the time. And I think it starts right here in us. I hope that this Easter Sunday that when you've come to church that you realize that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Amen. I hope that when you come here this morning that you realize that your past scars aren't nearly as impressive when you look past them to Jesus. I hope that you begin to glimpse into, peer into, just over the edge of that stone that was rolled away into the tomb to see heaven. Because that's the window. The window that shows us the eternity in front of us has less to do with the cross and more to do with the empty tomb than you might have ever realized. This morning you have to ask yourself this question. Am I with the guy that comes back from the dead? Because if today you're wrestling with that and you've never wrestled with it before, let me tell you more. Come in just a minute when we have the invitation. Catch me afterwards and I would love to discuss it with you at length. But today is the day of salvation. God loves you. His why is all over this book. And if you read it, you'll begin to realize that we as a human people are pretty messed up. But he loves us anyway. Do you know his why? It's because he loves you in spite of you. 
He sees your scars too. And he knows your hurts and he knows your pains and he knows your flaws and your faults. But he wants you to know that he had to do this so that you could have a life, a life eternal. The power of the Resurrection Sunday is, is that our story begins at the empty tomb. How about you? Is that your story this morning? Does your story start at the empty tomb? Are you so worried about all the grief and pain that you brought in here with you that you don't know how to unpack it because you can't look at anyone else's scars but your own? Look at Jesus this morning. Raised and resurrected. That's the story of Easter. Would you stand with me? And would you bow your heads?